from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Humorist and participatory journalist Henry Alford has written for the New York Times, The New Yorker, McSweeney's Vanity Fair, and The Paris Review. He won a Thurber Prize for his book, Big Kiss, which detailed his acting career. Other books include How to Live, A Search for Wisdom from Old People While They're Still on This Earth, and Would It Kill You to Stop Doing That? A Modern Guide to Manners. His most recent book is And Then We Danced, an account of his experiences learning to dance. Welcome to Craft, Henry Alford. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me, Doug. Oh, just uh, great to talk to you. Uh, I always look forward to uh, when you have a new book out. And, uh, and you've got this new one. So tell me about uh, the new book, what it was to be a participatory journalist and go in to learn how to dance, an activity that is foreign to me. Well, this one interestingly started probably about eight years ago. A friend of mine asked me, you know, of all these participatory uh, quests that you've written about, has one of them ever stuck? Have, has anyone ever, has one of them ever bled into your actual life? And I had to think a minute, and then sheepishly I admitted, oh, well, actually, six months after I wrote about doing Zumba for the New York Times, I was still going to Zumba lessons. So I, I come from very modest origins as a dancer. I love the idea that the, the verb you use was bled into your life as if it's, you know, opening up a, a, a vein or something that uh, that's how it, it impacted you. Um, it, have you gotten over the part where you're sheepish about Zumba? Do you still go to Zumba? I have stopped doing Zumba because, bizarrely, that is probably the most physically demanding of the... 15 dance idioms I've now dabbled in as a result of the book. I mean, we all think that ballet is the Mount Everest of physical exertion when it comes to dance. And indeed, it, in some ways it is. But for me, for me and my bad back, for me and my 56-year-old dad bod, there is nothing more exhausting than Zumba because you're just you're go 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 for an hour. So okay. no, I'm I'm off the Zumba. All right. Um, what do you want to? What what's the <laughs> what has stuck with you uh, from the experiences uh, of the many that you detail in the book? So the one that has stuck is for the past three years. Every Saturday afternoon, I go to a dance studio and I do a kind of dance called contact improvisation, which you probably haven't heard of, but if you've ever seen the group Palabolus, it's sort of the gestural toolkit that they started with. It's a lot of bodily collision. It's a lot of leaning on people. It's a lot of sort of building machines with each other's bodies. You're lifting people up with your shoulders. Um, and... I love it. I just, I really dig it. It's, it's sort of somewhere between physical theater and gymnastics, and uh, it's, it's just a real good time for me. I'm a terrible dancer. I have no natural <laughs> rhythm, and your description of that activity sounds like I would be injured within the first two minutes. I would be on and the floor indeed, grabbing my back, screaming in pain. Yes. And indeed, I pulled my back out three times doing it, and now I do, I do a, an hour-long 
Pilates session every week. So, but ultimately, because it's improvisatory, I can wiggle out of anything that I know is going to lead to injury. So I think Mm -hmm. that that's partly why I've stuck with it. Um, And yeah, but all kinds of dance are, you know, there's always going to be some sort of physical liability. I would say for the, you know, the uninitiated person who's entering dance, I would steer them toward tap dance. Uh, Tap is kind of sui generis because they don't even talk about your upper body. It's it's really almost drumming for the feet. Um, so that, for instance, is the kind of thing that you might like. <laughs> yeah, you people like you, Doug. You might people. like this. Like you, that have, with your so, particular with skill your set. Particular Doug. skill set. Uh, you know, it's like being going to a fashion person and saying, that "With your skill and your color perception, maybe gray. Just a whole outfit of all of it. Maybe a so, big bag over your head." Yeah. <laughs> so one thing, getting serious. One thing I need to complain to you about, uh, out of your book, um, yeah. And then we danced. Was you describe learning? square dancing in elementary school in the 1970s. And this brought back for me a flood of memories and it's shame because I also had a phys ed class with square dancing where I demonstrated just my lack of coordination and social skills. So I want to thank you for a trip down a toxic memory lane. Um, in, as you were researching for the, or sort of remembering what it was like to this, do does dance pop up in school? school for kids these days. Neither one of my children mentioned it when they were in that area, but it is a, you know, something that people of our ages uh, may share as a common thing of, of learning to dance in elementary school or being forced to move clumsily around in circles. Yeah, right. And I think that was a, a I don't know how old you are. I can't remember how old you are, but that was a 1970s thing that went along with yeah, the renewed interest in folk music and right. having a beard and, and eating whole wheat <laughs> grains, etc. Um, no, and obviously it's such a, um, you know, dance is a great way to I- introduce kids to the war between the sexes because just instantly it brings up all sorts of questions about intimacy and touching and respect um but yeah no it's true you i i don't hear about dance being in school curriculum um as often as you know as frequent frequently as it was when we were kids but i think that has a lot to do with the economy let me follow that one the economy because it's expensive to do dance to have people that know how to do dance in schools or what what no just simply that i i think that because arts programming has been cut um so much it in so many schools that dance is one of the few things is one of the first things you know if you were in you were a president of a day school and your budget is 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 hugely reduced Dance is sort of an easy one because you figure, oh, well, we already have phys ed and we already have recess. So the kids are, you know, getting some physical stuff already. And I don't know, to my mind, it's sort of, 
part and parcel with this this idea that dance has for for many years had sort of second class status among the arts um either because people think it's a kind of theater or because they you know they they realize that it often relies on music um but yeah dance is a is a sort of a perishable thing so it's not surprising to me that that we were, that you haven't heard about it from your mm-hmm. kids yeah and you know that brings me uh, to one of the other things i wanted to talk to you about is uh that one of the chapters in the book and then we danced is about the what you call the politics of dance um and i was hoping you might want to talk a little bit about that and bring people up to speed about what was going through your mind as you wrote that particular chapter which starts off with some really powerful uh, Im- uh thoughts and images well i mean you in a literal sense the politics of dance my first first my mind went to actual politicians who try to use dance to as a form of brand management right like a month before the last presidential election hillary clinton got on the radio and said i think we need a big national dance and i love hillary clinton but if you had to you know if you had to find a fault with her she she is kind of an uptight lady who you don't associate with getting funky so yeah of course someone like that or you know you look at dancing with the stars and there's tom delay uh dancing doing that oh you know time honored uh dance trope he he did a, a dance that was themed around a visit to a corn dog stand at the state fair um so yeah so there's that aspect of it or also literal someone like uh, you probably heard about one of the rockets refused to dance at um our president's inauguration right so there's the kind of literal thing but then there's also uh, you know, if you're talking a little more metaphorically, um, dance is fraught with politics because of, well, the, again, these, the issues of, of intimacy. So you look at something like ballet, where, you know, which is one of the few art forms where women really have had the upper hand in terms of performers, not in terms of choreographers. Um, so for me to be, a, to be a dude and go into a ballet class, that's really interesting uh, that suddenly I'm the second class citizen. What does that mean? What does that feel like? Um, and, you know, you read any kind of ballet criticism and it's all about the ladies. It's, it's very, you know, the male ballet dancers, they, they just are not getting the love that the women are. In popular dance, or at least old school dancing, I remember reading somewhere that Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did, but she did it backwards and in heels. And that was the saddest part of my research, Doug, was finding out that that is not correct. That is not correct. Ginger Rogers, no, she did not record her own taps. Um, That what you're hearing on those soundtracks is usually Hermes Pan, uh, their choreographer, and occasionally it's um, Fred Astaire himself. If you're looking to um, lasso your heart around 
a female tapper, the one who has all the cred is Eleanor Powell. Eleanor Powell recorded all her own taps. Mm, okay. I, I was thinking more of the physical movement, but I, I take your point. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, in, in your book, And Then We Danced, you talk about uh, several different kinds of dance. And I'm wondering if there's a particular movement that you learned during this that's become your signature move. Uh, maybe, <laughs> you know, something that you always go to now when you're on the dance floor. Well, I do do this thing, um, again, because I do this sort of weird postmodern um, form of almost gymnastics called contact improvisation. A thing I love to do and which I sort of think I made up is if I'm lying on the floor, I'll put my palms on the floor and then I'll push myself backwards really fast. So I'm scooting around the floor on my stomach really fast. And I sort of thought that because I've been doing that move for like three years with this group of people I dance with, that if someone were to compliment me, that they would say of me or of my dancing, you're really innovative, or, or you know, you do, you do some really wackadoodle stuff on the floor. But that's not, the, that's not what I get. What I get from other dancers is, Henry, you're very sturdy, which if you saw that in a, a review of a dance, you know, Henry Alford, a sturdy dancer, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think I would be hugely flattered. Yeah, yeah, I'll look for that if I watch uh, any of the, you know, and so you think he can dance or something like that and see if anybody yeah. is complimented, you know, you're really sturdy out there. That's uh, <laughs> it's an interesting word. <laughs> You don't fall over, ever. Yeah, yeah. You're like a, a what were those weebles wobble? Remember those little uh, round things sure. that you could, that they, but they don't fall down. Yeah, right. One last question, and it's about participatory journalism. Um, in an interview with Rick Riley, a sports writer, he described his experience with ferret legging, uh, in which contestants remove their underwear, seal up their clothing before dropping a ferret into their pants. And whoever can stand having a ferret in their pants longest wins, if you're going to call that winning. Now, Riley did this, but I'm wondering if there are things that you've been offered to do as a participatory journalist that you thought, that's not me. I'm not doing it too far. I never would have done what Riley did with uh, dropping a ferret in my pants. I'll be clear about this. But have there been things that you looked at and said, wow. I no. feel like I'm so desperate for attention that I would do most things. I've had, I've had editors, um, well, once I was assigned a piece where, remember when um, back in the 90s when people were forming militias, um, sort of citizen brigades? So I was going to go out, there were, uh, GQ magazine was going to send me out to Michigan to join one of them. And then at a certain point in the conversation, I would mention my boyfriend or, you know, make my orientation known. Um, and the editor yanked it before, like the day before I was going to get on a plane. Um, whereas I feel like I'm, uh, yeah, people are always giving me wacky, like a dance teacher told me to, um, you know, because I don't have great posture, so 
she told me that I should dance like my nipples were headlights, which I thought for a minute of, of quailing, of, you know, not doing that. And then I thought, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. So I did it. So, um, you know, I'm very popular during power outages. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually standing right now and trying to imagine what that would look like. And I'm so pleased that I'm alone in this room because that just would <laughs> nobody wants to see. Well, Henry Alford, I thank you very much for talking to me today. And I recommend the book. And then we danced an account of your learning to dance uh, along with many other areas that you touch on. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative.